0: This is Trinity Western University's chapel podcast, where our daily chapel gatherings are captured and shared for the TWU community. Whatever your day looks like today, we're glad you're tuning in. Todd for quite a while. He's from Southern California. I met him uh, as he serves as a role as in the role of chaplain at Biola University. I, I served in a role that same role here for a number of years and we met during the course of that and I so appreciate him. He really does have a deep desire to see people in the depths of their heart come to know Jesus and to follow Jesus in a deep way at his campus there in California and now on our campus here. So he'll be in chapel today. And tomorrow so let's welcome dr. Todd Pickett Well, good morning it's good to be up up here that say uh, up in Canada you know I want to begin with a, um, a story uh, and you're supposed to begin with a joke right well I'm, I'm not gonna do that I'm gonna begin with kind of a sad story I was in a restaurant maybe a couple of years ago and I ran into one of our former graduates from Biola University somebody I actually knew well he'd been in a couple of my classes and we hadn't talked, though, since he graduated, and so I asked him, you know, um, how are things going? And, of course, one thing leads to another, and I'm asking about what church he's going to now and what's going on in his spiritual life, and, and you know, he, it became clear that he was really no longer walking with God. He said, well, you know, I don't, I don't really go to church, and I, I actually don't really call myself a Christian anymore, and um, I said, uh, yeah, tell me more about that, and he said, you know i just i just felt like i couldn't live up to it i felt like i really couldn't represent well what a christian was and i and, and it was just too demanding and and then he kind of vaguely said you know there's just some things i need to get through life um... and uh... and they weren't very christian things so it was a sad conversation uh... you know on the one hand i kind of admired him because He was saying, look, uh, I I don't really present. I'm not a good ambassador for Christianity, and so um, I know what it requires, um, and I can't do that. So I appreciated his kind of um, esteem for the fact that the Christian life, yes, is a rigorous calling. Um, But I was also saddened, because I couldn't help but think he somehow got the wrong message about how to walk the Christian life kind of reminds me in, in, in um, John 6 when Jesus has some hard things to say to a big crowd, right? And most of them just walk away. And go, well, that's not what we were looking for. And then uh, Jesus turns to the disciples and said, are you going to walk away too? And Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. Well, that, that's always been a powerful verse for me. Yeah, there's some very difficult things about being a Christian, some very hard things about walking the way. But where else would we go? Jesus has the words of life. Um, There's evidence in Jesus's own day that even uh, Christians or Jews then felt the way of God, the Torah itself was a kind of burden, a hard thing to carry out. And Jesus addresses the Pharisees here in Luke 11, and he says, you experts in the law, woe to you, Because you load people down with burdens. Kind of burdens is what I felt from this guy in the restaurant. You load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. So apparently in Jesus' own day, people lived lived out the Hebrew faith, at least, as if under a burden that they could hardly carry. And it sounds like the Pharisees had a lot to do with making people feel that way. They didn't lift a burden to help them carry the law, especially out, the commands of God. Well, Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11 sounds very different, doesn't it? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, there's that word burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light the uh, Jews listening to him would immediately know what the yoke referred to. The yoke would refer to the law. And, of course, you know what a yoke is. It's something that goes over an animal's back or two animals' back while they're plowing to help them stay on the way, to help them stay on the way. So the Jews would have instantly recognized that, that Jesus was referring to the Torah, right, the way of God when he says the yoke. But here Jesus says the opposite. He says, you should be experiencing the yoke as something gentle as something restful. Now, we know that Jesus, Matthew says, you know, I haven't come to erase any of the law. I haven't come to change the law at all. I haven't changed to, come to change the commands at all. But, you know, the life of, of following me and obeying those commands should not feel like a burden. It should feel like, well, gentleness, humility, rest, easy. And I wonder how people do experience this. How many people do kind of experience life as a, the Christian life as a burden of never measuring up, of being inadequate? Um, I do think much of our experience is like this. In fact, I think maybe in all areas of our life, we kind of feel a little bit like this. We have a perception of where we should be, who we should become, what we should achieve. We should be more successful, more talented. More desirable, more mature. And I think we all have a, a kind of vision or idea of who we should be. And then we have a perception of who we think we are at this point. And there's a gap, isn't there? There's a gap between the ideals, the shoulds, the ought tos, the law, which is good, and where we feel like we are in the journey. And for some of us, that gap feels oppressive. It can. It can pr- it can lead to some anxiety like i want to close that gap i want to close that gap um, and you know one of the reasons we f- we feel that gap because humans have an amazing faculty and it's called the faculty of imagination you and i can imagine better versions of ourselves We can manage more successful versions of ourselves, more attractive versions of ourselves, more desirable versions of ourselves, more talented versions of ourselves, funnier versions of ourselves, more popular versions of ourselves. We have an imagination that can imagine these ideal selves. But the problem is it leads us stuck in this gap between who we perceive we are at the time and what these selves are. I'm pretty sure this is a a human faculty alone. The humans have this imagination That other creatures don't have. I'm pretty sure my new puppy Henry doesn't have this gap. There he is. He's brand new. He uh, doesn't look that dark, but he's uh, kind of a caramel color. I'm pretty sure Henry doesn't think, you know, I could be a bigger dog. He will be a bigger dog. He'll be about 13 pounds. But I'm pretty sure he's, you know, I could bark louder. Um, I could, I could run faster. Actually, to, to hear him bark, he probably already thinks he's like a Great Dane, the way he barks at other dogs. But I'm pretty sure he doesn't have this kind of gap in his life. I know because most of the time he's doing this. He's sleeping. Um, he doesn't seem to experience a lot of stress. He doesn't look like somebody who's living in the gap. He's pretty relaxed most of the time. He's comfortable in his own fur, we might say. So this is the human dilemma, right? We live in this gap. And I want to I want to suggest to you, generally as humans we live in the gap. And I want to say Christians actually have it doubly bad. We have the gap syndrome doubly bad. On the one hand, you and I experience a lot of kind of cultural shoulds, right? Things that the people around us or expectations around us in our culture or even expectations in us. We feel like there are many things that we should be. Uh, We should be more attractive. We should be more accomplished. We should be more popular. We should have had more experiences, we should be more powerful. We should be even funnier, funnier. And of course, these things are modeled to us through media and through um, social media. Um, There's just a huge load of these things. These ways we feel like we should be. And you know what the experience of that often is in our daily lives? This kind of heavy load, this gap of all these callings from culture or even from ourselves, things that we you know, put ourselves under the pressure to become, you know, the, the, the effect of this is kind of just a, a broad sense of shame that we experience. It's that sense of inadequacy. It's that sense that I'm not good enough. And we experience these in a deeply existential way, which is why I'm calling this the existential gap. Existential just means experiential. But it's kind of like the meaning of life becomes, I have to become these things. And because we can never measure up to our own imaginations or those of others, We have this just pervasive sense of shame, which makes us kind of want to hide, even hide behind better images of ourselves than we actually are. Um, Of course, there are, um, these are not uh, scriptural expectations, right? There's no place in the scripture that says, thou shalt be humorous, right? These are things that are coming through our, our culture, maybe through our family culture, and again, through our own desire, Um, And there's some evidence that this kind of sense of inadequacy or shame is taking a pretty big toll on the present generation. Um, Just a couple quotes here. Uh, Gene Twenge, he wrote a book called iGen, right? iGeners are those who were born in 1995 or later. They're the first ones who could have had a cell phone or rather a, a smartphone as their very first phone. So there are generations kind of distinguished by that. Um, she writes, the number of teens who agreed in this group that I feel like I can't do anything right reached all-time highs in recent years, zooming upward after 2011. So 2011 is when those born in 1995 would have been 16, maybe getting their smartphones, or those who were born later getting smartphones. So it's there's an interesting correlation. The cause can't be proven, but there's a correlation between kind of the smartphone and the means by which we can now compare ourselves to others. We can feel our inadequacy deeper and this notion that I can't do anything right. I can't measure up. Doreen Dodger-McKee, in a book called Deviced, about the effects of devices on ourselves, and this is not a talk on devices, but it speaks to this issue of the gap. She writes, you know, as a result, we're becoming hyper vigilant, noticing every way in which we are ill informed, inadequate, or overlooked. And we know the total effect on this currently is we have a society of anxiety. The hyper vigilance of, am I measuring up? Am I up to speed? So all of us live in that realm, right? All of us live in the realm of the shoulds of culture, the gap opens, we're in the middle of the gap, we feel a certain shame and not measuring up. Now Christians, I argue, have a double gap, right? So we have on the one side kind of the cultural expectations, whatever those may be for you, but we also have biblical expectations, right? I mean, you can't turn to a, a page in scripture where there's not a command, where there's not a virtue we should be developing, where there's not a fruit we should be modeling, So every passage of scripture kind of pops open that gap as well, right? We should be more loving, more generous, more self-denying, more peaceful, more grateful, more evangelistic, more just, and the list goes on and on and on. And so in reading scriptures or hearing a sermon or being in class, there's an opportunity for that gap to pop open again. And of course, now these, these are true. Unlike the cultural ones on the right side, you know, those are kind of, we need to discern those with God. Do I, do I, what do I need to accomplish, Lord? What is for me to do and what is not for me to do? So the ones on the right side are, ne- are negotiable and discernible. Not all of this stuff necessarily applies to me, and I need to discern with God what those callings are. The stuff on the left is non-negotiable. <laughs> the commands of God are non-negotiable. We're called to obey the commands of God. But for many Christians, similarly, the effect is one not of shame, necessarily, but of guilt, of guilt. And these, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting to you, are the burdens that Jesus was talking about when he was talking to the Pharisees. You load them up with these burdens and do nothing to help them. You know, shame is usually, uh, usually identify as something that's more global, some way I feel like I am, I'm not funny, I'm not attractive, I'm not smart. It's kind of this I am not, this kind of global sense of self. That's more indicative of shame. Guilt is more indicative of something we've done that we feel guilty for, or failed to do that we ought to. So shame and guilt are sometimes distinguished that way, as a global sense of self, or a sense of what I've done or failed to do. And that might be particularly relevant to scriptural commands. But in any case, the two of them together, wow, that's heavy, because they feel similar. They both feel like burdens. Shame and guilt, from cultural expectations, from biblical commands, and you know, I I sense sometimes that Christians live their lives this way. They get up in the morning, and there's a heaviness. And really what motivates them is a kind of guilt. Well, I'm just going to do better. I can do better. Indeed, uh, this, is, um, this is often how we live life. And, and the question is, what do you and I do with this burden of shame and guilt? What do you do with it? Well, I think there are some common what we call defenses. Defenses are are the ways we keep painful self-knowledge away from us. If we feel like we're not measuring up, feel like we're inadequate, if we feel guilty, if we feel ashamed, sometimes the project in life becomes, I want to keep this painful self-knowledge away from me because it's painful, because it's heavy. And there's various ways we do that. Of course, one tried and true way, or not true, but tried way, is we try and deny it. We try to repress the knowledge of ourself, or at least repress the feelings of shame we have. We try to push it down. Of course, you know what happens when you try to push things down. They inevitably leak out. (laughs) They inevitably leak out. But for a while, it works. People ask us how we are. We say we're fine. Um, We use various defenses socially not to let people in. So we t- kind of take these burdens of painful self-knowledge, we push it down. That's one way. Another way is we try to learn it away. This is my favorite way. I thought, well, if I can just know more, <laughs> if I can just know more, then I could be better. Uh, I'm an Amazon one-click shopper. Anybody? Thank you very much. Um, right? And for me, uh, I read a lot of books. I love to read books. Actually, I just love to order books. I don't always read them. I order them. So when I'm not feeling very good about myself or about my faith or about achievements, I'm going through Amazon, hey, that looks like a good book that would help me. Click, one click order, it's on its way, I already feel better. You should see my bedside table, there's like 13 books on my bedside table, it's like this little tower babel that's teetering on my, next to my bed, and I and I go for a book, I read a few pages, go, oh yeah, and I, 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 I drum up again this ideal version of myself. And, but it's another way kinda of deferring what is true right now. So I try and learn it away, and again, there's nothing wrong with learning. I mean, I've got like, I'm in like, I finished like 46th grade or something, right? You know, two MAs and a PhD. I love learning. But sometimes learning, well, all the time, learning will not be enough. Sometimes we just try and do better. Our response to our failures or our weakness or inadequacy is, you know what, I'll just do better. And we get ourselves psyched up and say, I'm going to really love my roommate. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to love them. I love my roommate. In fact, I love my roommate. And that lasts about a morning, right? So sometimes we just try to do better. This is the Nike way, right? Just do it. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things we must do sometimes. But the question is, what is driving it? If shame and guilt are driving it, let me just tell you right now, it doesn't work. Now, don't confuse me here. We are guilty. Adjectively speaking, we are guilty all the time. Shame, shame's not so good, actually. I would try to stay away from shame, because shame is more of kind of a global accusation from the devil. But guilt, yeah, absolutely, you and I are guilty all the time. What I'm saying is, guilt is a poor motivator. Guilt is a poor motivator. So yeah, there are things to do, just do it, but I'm going to tell you, if it's, if it's motivated by guilt, if it's motivated by trying to chase away the guilt through my improved performance, it won't work, because you know what, inevitably it's going to come back. Inevitably we fail again, or we compare ourselves to someone doing better, and the inadequacy comes back. Another way we try and deal with our shame and guilt, defend ourselves from it, is through living radically. <laughs> right, so I, I hear this a lot, because I work with college students, and... It's a, it's a form of just do better, right? I just want to live radically. And so sometimes they're like leaving school. I'm going to go to Africa. Or I'm going to join a fifth ministry. I know I'm involved in four ministries. I'm going to join a fifth one. And so this is kind of a version of doing better. And of course, these people become overcommitted. They become run down, all in an attempt to chase away feelings of shame and guilt. Other people just give up. They, they just start numbing it. They numb feelings of inadequacy, and I'm not going to go through that, but you know all the ways people numb. Some of them are respectable, some of them lead to destruction. And I think the guy that I met in that restaurant, I think this was his approach. I think he just fell into despair. I think he just fell into despair. The shame and the guilt, he says, I can't, I can't chase it away with my Christian behavior, I won't. So the question is, what do we do with our shame and guilt? Of course, the invitation from Jesus looks very different. See, you and I are not going to be able to rid ourselves of shame and guilt in our own efforts. That's called the flesh. The flesh simply here means the weak human attempt to chase away existential guilt and shame by us doing something. We will never chase away guilt and shame in the long run by the flesh, the weak human effort to do better, to learn more, to live radically. There may be callings to learn more, there may be calls to go out of our comfort zone, but if we're doing it to chase away feelings of guilt, shame, inadequacy, it'll never work. We are just too fallen, we'll make too many mistakes. Sometimes this is called living in our own strength. You know, people always say that. You shouldn't live in your own strength. I'm saying, you're right, I shouldn't. What is that again? (laughs) What is living in my own strength? I'll tell you right now what it is. Living in our own strength is the attempt to chase away shame and guilt by something we do. That's living in our own strength. So what's the alternative? Here it is. What was designed to take care of shame and guilt? The only thing that was designed to take care of it is the cross. Now this is how we came to Christ, right? We came to Christ as people who said, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need forgiveness, I need love, I need your power. I have messed things up and I will mess things up. I need you and the wonderful story of Christ's incarnation, his love, his forgiveness, this is why we came to him. But I'm gonna tell you that the story of the atonement of the cross is not just a conversion doctrine. It's a sanctification doctrine. It's how we grow. How we came to Christ is how we grow in Christ. If there's one thing I want you to remember, it's that phrase. How we came to Christ is how we grow in Christ. We don't just fly to the cross when we come to know Christ. We fly to the cross every day. Because it's only our return to the gospel that is the best starting point for what we should do next. Not out of guilt and shame, but out of, oh my gosh, today again I'm accepted. I can't believe it. I can't believe the atonement is for me again today, that it still covers me today. And if there are things to do, things to repent of, things to accomplish, we want to do that in the power of Christ, which is the power of gratitude and love. Because only the cross was meant to deal with guilt and shame. And so, we make a daily practice of doing so. I am waiting for the next slide there it is paul prays for the ephesians and the prayer is pretty powerful because the ephesians themselves are christians and paul in this letter of ephesians he he prays his heart for the ephesians i mean you want to know what paul wanted for christians look at this i pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that's a little bit of a of a puzzle doesn't christ already dwell in their hearts through faith Why is he praying that Christ would dwell in the hearts through faith? He goes on, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power. So some kind of power he's praying for, together with all the Lord's people, what is the power for? To grasp how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Don't these people already know that Christ loved them? In our case, don't we already know that Jesus loves me, this I know? Yeah, well, we know it. (laughs) What Paul's saying is, that's an infinite journey. The love of Christ is so high and so deep that you could just keep going into it. And indeed, that is the calling of every Christian. It is a return to the gospel. It is say, Lord, yeah, I do know that you love you, you love me, but I want to I open more deeply at love, and that is Paul's prayer. So, what do you and I do with the gap? The existential gap, the sanctification gap. Well, the first thing we do in failure is to go to the Lord. Say, Lord, is it still true today the atonement covers me? Of course we know it's true, but we need to hear it. Because we want to move out from an identity in Christ. Tomorrow we're going to talk more about that identity. But let me bless you as you leave. May the Lord cause you to prosper this week in every good spiritual gift that is in Christ Jesus. May he keep you. May he watch you. May he guard and protect you and all whom you love. May the Lord's countenance be upon you, his face turned toward you, that you might see in Jesus this morning how very much he loves you, receives you right where you are, and bids you come follow me. And may he be gracious to you. And may you sense his goodness, favor, and mercy as you walk with him this week. And may the Lord grant you peace. And may you each one settle and center on Christ Jesus, who has the words of life, and through whom we ask all these things. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has challenged, encouraged, and inspired you as we continue learning and growing together in discipleship to Jesus. Every week, you'll find new chapel messages on our channel from local and international speakers, ranging in diverse and engaging topics. So go ahead and subscribe for the latest of what's going on in chapel. Much love and happy listening.